I'll read our scripture for this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and then we'll dismiss the children for Children's Church. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burnt, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way, and it is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. And when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Children, you are dismissed. Second here, okay. Things you love. It speaks of loving the Lord here and, and the and the things that you know how love is described by Paul here. And uh there's uh teacher and pastor who uh, has an interesting statement about this passage. His name is Warren Wiersbe. Maybe you've heard of him. Uh, He talks about, first off, how these particular passages, they show up in posters. And I'm reading from a passage of his in a book. They show up in Valentine's. They show up in greeting cards, love songs, marriage workbooks, and wedding ceremonies. Now, that's not the only place they show up. But what he was trying to do was to set the stage. He says, it is is tragic 
when the world takes a chapter like this and divorces it from its true Christian meaning. The unsaved man can no more experience this kind of love than can a marble statue. It takes the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God in the life and the empowering of that Spirit for anyone to display this kind of character in daily life. Referring to the love that Paul speaks of here in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, there are things that we love, and we will say casually that we love this or we love that. A simple example would be, uh, I love the song Ancient of Days. Okay? And we sang that this morning. It's one of my favorite songs. And so I, I can say, I love the song of Ancient of Days. Uh even on a more simple basis, I can say, I love a good cup of coffee. Okay? I, I, I think I got an amen on that. Uh, you know, I love a good cup of coffee. Uh, what are some of the things that you might put in a, in a list that you might say that you love in, in a more general context? I love this or I love a something. Somebody give a shot at it. I love the sunshine. I miss the sunshine. Um, my sister, I love the ocean. I love flowers, the flowers. Especially these up here are beautiful today. Thank you. Make it as personal as you want. I, I was thinking as I was just saying this, I love my grandchildren. I love my dog. Okay, I love. We should love our pets. Yes. I'm fishing for two, but I haven't got them yet. I love my husband. I love my wife. God has put in us the capacity as His creation to love. But we cannot love with the terminology that's used in this passage without having God in a personal relationship. The word that, that Paul is using here and, and, and we we flippantly use it at times, is the word agape. There's only one source for this kind of love, and that is through God and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit filling us with that love. And here we just sang a perfect song to bring us into this. This chapter... is importance of God's love in us, through us. It's a sacrificial love that God speaks of, that Paul writes of. By the way, and I know you've heard this so many times from me, but there's, a, there's an order in this love 
I love God. I love my neighbor or I love others. And then I love myself. It's okay to love yourself. But it comes first. God is first. And all that God is, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, He is first. They are first. And then we put others into that framework. We love others. And that love is to be a sacrificial love if it's agape love. It means that I'm willing to put you ahead of myself in whatever way is necessary to cause your life to be complete. And we're all to have that towards one another within the, within the body, within our families, and even within the people who are our neighbors. Do you recall the, the, you know, Jesus is questioned about neighbors and who, what that is? Do you recall the parable that He gave for that? The Good Samaritan? Okay, and, and so just take it on your own to read that or reread it. But the idea is, is that you know, we are to show our love for others. And that includes the people that God puts in our pathway at any given time. When Paul writes this chapter, chapter 13, it's right in the middle of him talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 12, identifying the gifts of the Spirit. Chapter 14, talking about uh, the gifts of the Spirit. And 13 is almost like a parenthesis to explain some things that will give you a better understanding of how to interact with the gifts of the Spirit. There's a word that uh, I saw in in, uh, one of the, the commentaries I was using that is a word that I hadn't thought of for a long time. Hyperbole. And it took me immediately back to my uh, college years and, and uh, the study of, of English lit and the different types of, of things that we can use to explain things. And a hyperbole is an exaggerated example of something. It's not meant to be taken literally, but to create a picture. A number of commentators look at 13 and Paul's, some of the writings that Paul puts in here in reference to understanding things about the gifts of the Spirit as a hyperbole. In other words, some things that are said are beyond what would be in something we would expect normally and in the sense of looking at it. So let's, let's just look at this together. Verse, the first three verses. Paul, again, he's still dealing with spiritual gifts from chapter 12. And, he, and the key to understanding this is that gifts without love lack the ability to serve the purpose God intends. I think that's a, a, a general statement for this. He takes some of the uh, spiritual gifts talked about last 
week by BJ in chapter 12. And uh, starts off in verse 1 of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Stop there for a moment. I was curious in reference to, you know, if you could still get a gong. You can go online and get a gong. And you can range anywhere from to get one that works. Anywhere from $70 to a couple of thousand dollars. Okay? And I, you know, some people will say, well, gong, is that something like the gong show? Well, that, they used the gong on the gong show, yes. But what it is, is a sounding gong is something that makes a loud, reverberating noise, but basically has no real purpose other than to make a loud noise. You could accomplish what a gong accomplishes without it in some other fashion. And so here's this huge round metal disc. And what Paul is saying is that if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, by the way, is this speaking of, of tongues of men and of angels referring to uh, an angelic language or a, a spiritual language like speaking in tongues that some people talk about? It could be. But the real issue is that if I do it but don't have love, this is the key to this verse, People get so hung up on arguing about the other things. The key is, if I do this without the love of God working in me, I'm nothing but a gong. I'm serving no purpose. I make a large sound, it reverberates, and then it's what? Gone. I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and of all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains, this is where you get the word hyperbole. This is not, you know, this would be a superman. And, and we would call this person the super Christian, if you would. But, he, you know, look again at what he, he's saying. If I had all the prophetic powers, no man has been given that. If you know and understand all the mysteries, they haven't been unfolded to us. And all the knowledge there is to have. And if I have all faith, can you imagine this person? You know, so as to move even mountains. but I have not love, I am nothing. Now, quite candidly, the person wouldn't have those gifts and skills without the love of God working through him. But Paul is just giving us that hyperbole. What if there was a person who could do this? I'm just giving you an example. It's a, it's a hypothetical. You know, but I didn't. he doesn't have the love of God. With all that he has going over here, without the love of God, he is nothing. He accomplishes nothing for the kingdom of God. 
if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, in other words, as a sacrifice, God doesn't call us to do that. Again, we see the hyperbole here. But if, if, if I had gave away everything I have, and then I were to offer myself up as a living sacrifice to the fires, in other words, to be burned, that would be a pagan thing. He said, if I were to do all of that, but I don't have agape love, the love of God in me, then what am I? I gain nothing. I am nothing. I gain nothing. What Paul is trying to establish here is that the love of God is the key to understanding, using, and being involved in the use of the gifts that minister to the body of Christ within the framework of the church. I want to drop down to verse 13 real quick. Look how he puts this conclusion here. So now faith, hope, and love abide. Faith and hope and love abide. These three. What's our faith in? The work of God through Jesus Christ. In other words, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that who should ever believe in Him shall not what? Perish, but have eternal life. That is our faith and our hope. And we have that. But he says, these three, but the greatest of these is love. goes back to God so loved. Jesus offered Himself in, this, in the plan of salvation before we ever loved Him. And so God's love is what is establishing it here. And without it, these other things mean nothing. The personality, if you will, of this love or the temperament of this love. Patient, kind, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's, that's, that's the forward, the, the, the awesomeness of this love. And what it doesn't do, okay, it does not envy or boast. This word boast is to be puffed up with pride. Okay, it doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. And these words mean exactly what they sound like they mean. Their words were common to us. It does not insist on its own way. In other words, it doesn't come in saying, my way or the highway, so to speak. It's one that is sacrificial. It will give way to someone else rather than take its own way. It doesn't insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Love never ends. 
Love never fails. Okay, and this idea of end or fail means that it is constant. All these other things, you know, that that are in the midst of uh, the gifts and stuff like that, will ultimately pass. But love will be a constant. It will always be there. It is an eternal thing. The love of God is for eternity. And when it's offered to us and put into us and we receive it, it is in us for eternity. We are part of God's kingdom for eternity. Love is a constant. I uh, was thinking another place where Paul used the idea of love. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 Memory verse for so many kids. So many times in, in Sunday school and, and summer camps and VBS clubs and all these different things. Galatians 5.22 basically says that the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it goes on to joy, peace, patience. Okay, I'm going to suggest to you that the fruit of the Spirit is love manifested in eight different ways that Paul puts in here. In other words, love is the key. It is the fruit of the Spirit in you. It is love that causes you to serve God. It is the love of God that you rest in for your salvation. It is His grace, His mercy, His love. Okay? And he asks us to, to see it manifested in eight different ways. What are some of the ways? Maybe out of memory you'll recall some. What are a couple of the ways that love is talked about in Galatians 5.22? Long-suffering. Okay. Patient. Long-suffering. Patient. Other, others, possibly. Peace. Kindness. <laughs> Who said that? <No. laughs> Self-control. Okay. Gentleness. Faithfulness. Goodness. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then he adds, against such things there is no Law. In other words, there's no nothing in the Word of God that says anything negative about these. <laughs> these are to be entrusted to all believers. The work of love in your life should produce this fruit. This this picture of love should be produ- being produced in your life. What is our joy in? Jesus Christ. Salvation. God's mercy, His undeserved mercy and grace. The end result of this love is that we do have peace. Where is that peace most exemplified? It's we have peace with God through Jesus Christ who has paid 
for our sins. We no longer are sins uh, are our sins separating us from the Father, but through the cross and our acceptance of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, we are now at peace with God. Being in this position, we see these other things grow in us as well. Gentleness, self-control, goodness, kindness, joy. So against these things, there is no law. And so I wrote down, what about in favor of these things? <laughs> Are there any things that, 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 that we should in, look at outside of these verses themselves? May I take you to Matthew chapter 22. Starting at the 34th verse. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. What was going on here, by the way, was the different groups of uh, the different political religious groups of the Pharisees and the Sadducees were getting together, trying to figure out a way to entrap Jesus into saying something that would allow them to say blasphemy or something to that effect. And so they were attacking him with with these things. And it says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they'd come after him and they got nowhere with him. They gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which right there was hypocrite on the part of the person offering that term, teacher, to Jesus. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, they stood outside the gates of of the of Jerusalem, and they stood in the and sat on the steps of of the temple and in a, and the different porticles, debating these things all the time. Jesus could not win with this. He was going to alienate someone somewhere. It is he listed out the great commandment. And Jesus said to him, "You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind." This is the great and the first commandment. And he throws in a freebie here. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. That's a powerful statement. But if you go and look at the Ten Commandments, the first four deal with your relationship with God and the, the next six deal with your relationship with, with people. And he's basically saying this is the essence of that. He was quoting, by the way, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 as well, which was part of the, 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 an absolute within the framework of the, of the Hebrew faith. God's love must be in us for His work to be accomplished to His glory. Jesus speaks of this love to His disciples, but before I get to that, I want to read something that uh, Charles Hodge writes in reference to some of this. 
we look at the Scriptures here in, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, just past where it says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know all in part and prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, that's a, a debate right there in all of itself. Many people hold that the, the New Testament is and, and the Bible together is the perfect. I suggest it's the second coming of Christ. I'm not going to argue or debate it, but it's, it's just uh, I believe that when the second coming comes, the perfect will be amongst us. The partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I grew up and gave up childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but face to face, but then face to face when the perfect comes. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Charles Hodge says, This is the reason why, starting with verse 9 in in that inclusion, he says, This is the reason why knowledge and prophecy are to cease. They are partial or imperfect, and therefore suited only to an imperfect state of existence. The revelations granted to the prophets imparted more glimpses of the mysteries of God. When those mysteries stand disclosed in the full light of heaven... What need will there be of those glimpses? A skillful teacher may use diagrams and models to give up some knowledge of the the mechanism of the universe, but if the eye is strengthened to take in the whole at a glance, what need is there of models or teacher? The Apostle uses two illustrations to teach us the difference between the present and the future. One he derived from the difference between childhood and maturity, the other from the difference between seeing a thing by imperfect reflection or through an obscure medium and seeing it directly. When Jesus spoke of this love to His disciples in John chapter 13, He said to them, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are My disciples if you have love for one another. How are people going to know that we are Christians? There's another Scripture that references that, but how are they going to know we are Christians? By our love for one another and for those around us and how we minister to them. Without love... We're an obnoxious gong as we try to preach the Word of God. But when we come in love, patience, kindness, gentleness, long-suffering, then people are more prone to hear our testimony and what we have to say. The love that Christ showed us on the cross is amazing. We call it amazing grace. We, uh, we sing songs about amazing grace, amazing love, and a, a number of other things that reference this. 
And the only way this love is available to us is through our receiving Christ as our personal Savior. There is no other way. And when we receive Christ as our personal Savior, He tells us that He will indwell us through the Holy Spirit, which will give us insight and help to understand the Word of God. Do we fully understand? Does anyone in this room be able to make the claim, you fully understand the Word of God? And the answer is no. That's something yet to be revealed to us in the sense of the coming of Christ, heaven, and eternity. But what we do see is that with His mercy and His grace, He gives us the ability through the Holy Spirit to see what He has imparted to us through the cross. In fact, it's what we celebrate at communion. Every time we meet together, we share in communion. And, and the reason for that is, is that it's, it's the awesomeness of what God has done for us. It's, it's what we are here for. It's what draws us here. Is what He has done and what, commun- and what communion means to us. In the flesh, He hung on the cross. We share bread together as a representation, as a memorial, as a reminder of that sacrifice. He poured out His blood. He allowed it to be shed for us. And so we share in a cup of grape juice together the fruit of the vine that we might remember what He did for us. There are days possibly when you take communion that the love of God is so overwhelming at what He's done that it's, it's, it's a time of, of, of even tears. Other days, it's a, it's a time of, of, of great joy. And, and the idea is that we are so thankful for what He has done. We have eternal life. We are not, a, we are not the, in the category of sounding gongs. You know, we're, we're not in the category of, of those who... Uh, don't have the Word of God working in them. We don't come under the category, I am nothing. I come under the category, I am a child of God. I am joint heirs with Jesus. And I share in His inheritance because of what He has done for us. That's our legacy and our joy and our hope because He loves us. In our communion, we don't pass the tray, but during our communion song, we ask you to come up and pick up the communion up here in in the front. We have two sides. One is a packet that has the bread and the juice, the fruit of the vine together in one and you peel off the lid of the, the packet and there's the bread and then the next one peels off and that's the, the juice. Or we have this one which is simply two communion cups, one with the juice, one with the bread. And whichever one you're most comfortable using, 
Uh, feel free to take of it. But we'll ask you to come up and take it uh, while they're singing the communion song. Gospel of Mark, what we traditionally call the Last Supper, 
Jesus spoke to His disciples in reference to what we now celebrate as communion. As they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, He broke it and He gave it to them and said, Take, this is My body. And then He asked them to eat it, every one of them. Let us take the bread together. And Jesus took a cup, and when He had given thanks, He gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And He said, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Let us share the cup together. Father, we thank You for these emblems that remind us of the love and mercy and grace that You have just bestowed on us, lavished on us, poured out on us. We ask, Father, that as we serve You, we will do so with Your Holy Spirit working in us that Your love would richly pour out of us and minister one to another and to our neighbors and to those You put across our path in whatever way that Your Holy Spirit might guide us. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You for the day that You have blessed us with. In Jesus' name, Amen. We have one more song, right? Would you stand as we close, please? out and practice that agape love that uh, you have in your life. And uh, we pray uh, you have a good week. Let's go ahead and sing the last song.
fresh cookies back there. So uh, help yourself if you have time to stay for a little bit.